Hi, this is Nick Nemroff from the Big Three Podcast. Today we are starting a new series of podcasts interviewing fans of each member of the Big Three to hear their tennis stories and why they are a fan of Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. Our first guest is Nick from South Africa. Nick is a close friend, tennis partner, and a big Novak Djokovic fan. Without further ado, let's get started. Hey, Nick. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate it. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into tennis? Yes. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Nick Godley. I'm 52 years old, and I live in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I'm a you know enthousi- enthusiastic tennis player. I've been playing since I was about 11. Um, uh, we had an outdoor tennis court at our home and uh, with a backboard. And I started taking lessons from the local coach um, when I was around 11, 12 years old, and started watching tennis. Uh, you know, early you know McEnroe board matches uh, on TV, and you know I've I've been playing ever since. Uh, uh, you know, in in all the places where I've lived, it's been my constant. I lived in Madagascar for 12 years, um, so I played on red clay in Madagascar. Um, now I'm in Cape Town, uh, and I'm playing on hard courts. So the surfaces have changed, but the uh, the enthusiasm has 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 stayed. Awesome. So, how long after you started playing tennis did you watch regularly? I think around the same time. Uh, you know, when I started playing, I started paying more attention to tennis as a sport, and uh, you know, this was you know McEnroe, Borg. It was during that era. Um, so you know, not high resolution tennis on TV, but there was tennis on TV and. And I remember, you know, all the controversies with McEnroe and, you know, how, how sort of different he was than, than, you know, the established or the sort of traditional tennis players in terms of his temperament, in terms of his style. Um, and, uh, and I've been following it, you know, ever since. So when you first started playing, did you have a particular player who you tried to model your game off of? No, I didn't. Um, you know, I, there wasn't enough media back then. I mean, this was before the internet. Uh, so you had, you know, extremely limited options. I mean, beyond what you watched on television. I and mean, that was, you know, CBS or ABC or one of the networks. There was no tennis channel. There was no internet. Um, so there was a lot less to, uh, to, you know, in terms of variety of players, a lot less to, to, to choose from than there is today. Did you ever have a point where you took a break from playing and then resumed? Yes, uh, in Madagascar, uh, as I mentioned, I, I lived there for 12 years uh, and I tried to play, you know, you know, as much as I could there. But the, the issue in Madagascar was the heat um, and I lived on the north, sort of northwest coast of the island and it was very, very, very hot. Uh, so you either had to play, you know, before this, almost, you know, just after the sun came up or at night. And usually I, because I was working, I could play at night. So it was much more limited. Um, and then I came to Cape Town in 2007. Um, and I live, you know, where I live now, uh, uh, there are, you know, two outdoor clubs literally behind my building. So I really picked it up and started playing a lot more, more often when I, when I moved to Cape Town. So the reason why we have you on the podcast, of course, is because, you know, we have a close relationship on a personal level. And I know that you are a big Novak Djokovic fan. So when did you first start supporting Djokovic? So I sort of, you know, he first came on my radar, I think, after he won the Australian Open in 2000, when I think it was 2008. Um, 
And so I was aware of who he was. Um, and it wasn't really until 2010, uh, before he started going on this incredible winning streak that I, 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 I really sort of paid a lot closer attention to him. And I, and I thought to myself, wow, he's going to be, you know, he was already, you know, a top three, top five player. Um, but I thought he's got what it takes to, you know, to become number one. And, uh, and then, you know, in 2011, he went on this, you know, amazing run, which didn't surprise me. I think it might've surprised some other people. It certainly didn't surprise a lot of people. I think there was always a sense that he was destined for, you know, for, for the very top, but, but, um, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I followed him and I was, you know, I, I really thought before he, you know, went on this incredible run and, and became sort of dominant in support, I always sensed that he had the, the, um, you know, the ability and I became a fan, you know, pre 2011. Was there something in particular about his playing style or his on-court persona that attracted you towards his game? A couple of things. Uh, I felt that, you know, I mean, I said, when I sort of, started learning a bit more about him and I, I, I sort of read about his, his upbringing, uh, you know, the challenges he had growing up um, in Serbia, which is, you know, you know, during a civil war. Um, I grew up in Beirut and, uh, uh, you know, I, I lived there for four years until 1975. Um, I was a kid around his age um, and, you know, I, there were bombings in Beirut. There was, it was the beginning of the civil war uh, in Lebanon. And so on that level, just on that personal level, I could sort of relate to him. Um, uh, you know, we had rocket attacks, uh, you know, I had, you know, you know, there was, there was, it was the beginning, you know, of the civil war. And so to, to sort of live through that, uh, uh, is something that I, you know, can certainly share with him. I mean, I shared that, that, that with him on a personal level in terms of, in terms of, you know, you know, Novak himself, you know, at the time, you know, certainly Nadal and Federer were the dominant players and the, the narrative in tennis was really focused on those two. And, you know, he was really knocking at the door and, and, you know, maybe he's rooting for the underdog, you know, it's a combination of, of his personal story of his circumstances of, and, you know, the underdog, I, you know, I, I like rooting for the underdog and somehow, some way, you know, he was able to break through and that was, you know, hugely, you know, gratifying, you know, for me to see and, and certainly for, for all his fans. What is your favorite part of his game? I mean, originally it was his return of serve. I mean, he, as, as everyone knows, he's got possibly the best return of serve uh, of any player. Um, you know, he and, 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 and Agassi um, are, are known for the return of serve. Um, but as I got to, you know, a, a, as time went on, uh, I think his flexibility uh, became, you know, became a big part of why I admire, admire his game and, and his style. And I, and I think today, um, you know, mental toughness, obviously, I don't think anyway. You can't be meant. You can't get to you know the top without being mentally tough. But I think in, in his case, it required sort of an extra dose, especially given that you know the fan. You know most fans. You know you know don't react to him the way they react to let's say Federer or or, or Nadal or or other players for that matter. Um, there's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of disrespect. Um, and you know, in, despite that, or in spite of that, he manages to you know, to persevere under incredibly difficult circumstances that I think very few tennis players experience. Um, and I think on a personal level, uh, uh, what, you know, what I've picked up in my life is, is flexibility. Um, and I've, you know, I, I'm never going to emulate Djokovic in any way. I mean, when I do play, 
uh, I try to, you know, when I, I think of the return to surf, and maybe that's the one thing that I can do um, in terms of improving. I'll never have his backhand or his forehand um, or his movement, but I think, you know, return of serve is something that, that is reasonably possible in the realm of the possible in terms of focusing on getting the ball back deep and, and having that sort of level of consistency. Um, but on a personal level, you know, his flexibility uh, and his approach to, you know, his, uh, his athleticism, if you will, encouraged me to, to start stretching. Uh, it encouraged me to start paying attention, more attention to my body. Um, I think he's really, you know, as a player and as an athlete, because I, you know, I don't see him just as a tennis player, I see him as an athlete too. Um, what he can do with his body is, is mind blowing. And it inspired me and still inspires me to this day to become more flexible, to spend more time focusing on, on wellness. Uh, I eat Manuka honey, for example, I'd never heard of Manuka honey until, until I, you know, I read that he eats it and I've been eating Manuka honey for, you know, six years now. Um, every day, uh, a spoonful in the morning. So, you know, he's influenced me in real, you know, in real ways uh, in terms of my daily life, not just in terms of, of tennis itself. So as far as the stretching, is it something where you've actually looked into the specific stretches Djokovic does, or do you use other resources for that? Uh, both. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I can't, I, you know, I can't, uh, you know, I'm not privy to his, you know, I, th I mean, most people are privy to his, uh, to his training regimen. I think he keeps a lot of it to himself, but from what I've seen, mm -hmm. certainly, um, I wouldn't even begin to attempt to do that. So I got, you know, books on stretching and wellness. And so I just follow my own routine now. Um, but the emphasis is on, is on flexibility and on recovery and on, you know, minding the body and, and the mind and sort of, you know, that combination, uh, if you will. So, you know, a lot of it's yoga, a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it is wellness, breathing, um, uh, calmness, uh, meditation is another one. I started meditating on his, you know, on his, you know, on his inspiration. Um, you know, now you see all, a lot of tennis players meditating during the changeover. That was never a thing, you know, a few years ago. And now it's, it's, uh, you know, and you keep hearing, I mean, you know, even on, you, you know, even at the club level, um, you hear people say, well, I don't like Novak. Um, but God, I'd love to play like him. And so, you know, they may not like him, but they try to pick up as much of, of his qualities as, as possible. Uh, I, to me, he's a much more teachable person and, you know, you're a professional, so, you know, you would have, you know, you would know a lot more about this, but I think, you know, Nadal's forehand is not an easy thing to teach. Federer's backhand is not an easy thing to teach. Um, Novak's, you know, all of what he does, um, is teachable in a way, you know, these guys are, you know, very gifted in, in sort of idiosyncratic ways. And Novak has just, you know, raised the skill level all around. Um, so there's probably, other than the return of serve, there's nothing that he does necessarily better than anyone else. It's just that he does a combination of, of all of it together. It's, just, it's, it's sort of better. And I think in the last couple of years, um, certainly in my game, uh, I think it's a second serve because he's taking a lot more chances. He's got incredible placement. Again, he doesn't have a, 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 a John Isner serve, um, but it's consistent. Uh, and he takes, you know, his his he's worked a lot on, on placement. Um, and especially on the second serve, he's able to get himself out of very difficult situations um, uh, with a second serve, which, you know, I think was not the case a few years ago. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned the second serve because before we started the podcast, we were talking about guys like Karatsev and um, Hurkash and just some guys who were kind of, you know, in a sense coming out of nowhere and winning big tournaments and making deep runs. And 
talking about how might that happen. And then we look at, at Djokovic and you can see the, the, the obvious changes he's made in his game over time. And I think it just shows you that even if, whether you're Djokovic or whether you're you or me, you know, there can be another level that can be reached, um, you know, to improve your game. Because I think so many people are under the impression once they get to a certain age or skill level, then, you know, they've got their set in their ways and that they can't change it. And Djokovic has proven over and over again, whether it's his backhand, whether it's his second serve. I mean, just his service technique in general has improved so much. His forehand has improved so much over his career. So I think it's uh, really valuable for people watching to be able to like draw inspiration, um, inspiration from that. What would you, so, what would you attribute the the response Djokovic gets from fans throughout the world to? So I first saw him at the U.S. Open in 2011. I I, I was there, you know, courtside for a few matches and and for the final um, um, for a few matches as well. Um, uh, uh, and. Uh, you know, the final was an epic, you know, against Nadal. That's when he won the U.S. Open for the first time. And, um, you know, he took his shirt off and he was, you know, the, the, the crowd was incredibly hostile. And to be in the sort of cauldron of this, you know, massive, you know, massive tennis stadium and to see, you know, there were certain pockets of fans, but the overwhelming, you know, the, the overwhelmingly the fans were supporting, were supporting Nadal. Um, I was at the final in, in, I think, 2013 when he played... Uh, Nadal. Nadal again and then yeah. against Murray. I think it was 2014. Murray was um, 12. What's that? Murray was 12 when he lost that one. M M Murray was 12. Then then 12 and 13, sorry. Right. Uh, and, you know, again, when he was playing Murray, uh, everyone was for, for Andy Murray. You know, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. They're, they're not going to support him. Uh, uh, and... You know, if it's Federer, as we all know, it's you know, it's decibels, uh, it's decibels higher uh, in terms of the support for for Federer over over Novak, and just you know, disrespect. I mean, you know, cheering's you know, double faults, and um, you know, there are very few players that elicit that kind of reaction who are you know so talented. Um, I think it's a combination of a few things. I think the fact that he's Serbian, uh, you know, Serbia is not a popular country. Um, people, you know, think that he, you know, you know, he affects, you know, that he, he fakes injury, um, you know, or they don't like his personality. I don't know. I think he's, you know, to me, it's been, you know, he's, you know, he's, you know, he's had to break through, you know, an incredibly tough sort of duopoly of, of players and to get to, you know, to maybe it's because he disrupted the Nadal Federer love fest. I have no idea, but you know, credit to him uh, for putting that in the back of his mind. Credit to him for not listening to anyone and and for hearing his own voices inside his own head, which took him to, to where he is today. And don't get me wrong, I think people, you know, when you look beyond the state, you know, who's in the stadium, he's got, you know, an enormous global fan base um, outside of Serbia. Obviously, Serbians are, you know, think he's, he's you know, he's, he's you know, the second coming. But even, you know, they're, they're fans. He's got a legion of fans. Um, maybe not as many as Nadal, maybe not as many as Federer, certainly not. But I don't think that matters. Uh, I think, you know, he's got to keep playing his game and know that he's loved by a lot of people. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you were at these several U.S. Open matches. What are some other memorable matches of his that you've been to and what memories can you share from those? 
Well, these are the five. These were three finals that I got to see. Um, I saw him in Dubai uh, when he won his 700th uh, 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 ATP uh, uh, tour uh, uh, title. Match, um, you mean? What's that? A match, you mean? Yeah, he won. He beat uh, Feliciano Lopez, if I remember, and that was his 700th. Uh, uh, you know, they brought a big cake. It was, you know, a big celebration. And again. In Dubai, you know, very different reaction. Uh, he had there were a lot of yet a lot of support there. Um, so I think it's a matter of where you go. Um, in Australia, I think he definitely gets probably more support than he does certainly in New York. Um, but uh, you know, maybe it's a question of of people wanting to see Federer and, and especially Federer, but also Nadal win more mm-hmm. um, because you know people have a you know have a have a real affection. I try not to get into the uh, you know to me it's less about personality than than it is about you know, what they're actually doing on the court. And, you know, I just have enormous admiration for what he's achieved. I mean, you know, it's, it's given what he's done for the game, given what he's contributed to the game, given, you know, how generous he is to other players. Um, I have a friend who, you know, who has been on tour. um, And, you know, certainly in the locker room, he's extremely popular. And that goes against you know, what the fans, you know, the general fan, you know, the fan base feels certainly amongst players, he's enormously liked and enormously respected, um, much more so than, than people realize and much more so than, than the, you know, than what you would hear from, from, you know, fans in a stadium. Um, and, uh, I don't want to comment on other players because this is not about other players, but he's certainly one of the most popular players and respected and liked, you know, genuinely liked and generous. He gives his time, he gives advice. Um, he's, you know, he's, uh, you know, there's enormous respect for him, uh, in the, in the professional tennis community, which I think, again, is something that he probably cares about as much as, as anything, you know, respect from his peers. hundred percent. So what was the toughest loss that you've seen in person or just in general? What is the toughest loss that you feel he's experienced in his career? That's a good question. I don't know. I think all of, all his losses are tough on me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want to see him win everything that he enters. Um, certainly the French Open, you know, the French Open finals uh, uh, were, and semifinals, uh, when he was really knocking at the door, mm-hmm. those were, to me, the toughest, because that was the one major he had never won. So we're talking and, about uh, in 2015 against Wawrinka and 2013 correct. against Nadal. Correct. Correct. Um, and, you know, he was so close yet, you know, there was no, you know, there was no title. And I think after he won that, um, uh, you know, I, I, it put sort of, uh, you know, I think it put everything into perspective, certainly for him having won the career slam and for his fans, I think also having seen him win the career slam, you know, it didn't, it, you know, his losses weren't as bad as, as they were before, because he was certainly, you know, he achieved, you know, a sort of major career milestone, which is, which is great. I'd love to see him win a second French Open. Um, uh, so he has, you know, two victories of each slam, which, you know, nobody else has. He already has all the Masters, which, again, nobody else has. Um, you know, there are a lot of superlatives, whether he has the most Grand Slams or not, you know, time will tell. Um, but he's, you know, longest, you know, at number one. Um, you know, it's he's an incredible, you know, he's you know, and apparently also a very gifted basketball player. So he's an incredible athlete, um, and uh, it didn't come about, you know, you know, through thin air. I mean, this was a lot of work and a lot of dedication, and and uh, certainly a lot of natural ability. But you know, enormous perseverance and a willingness to fight. And I think, you know, it, it's easy to criticize someone. I think, you know, if you put yourself in someone else's shoes, 
Um, and again, I think this is something that very, very few tennis players ever experienced, where you have 20,000 people whistling and, and, and disrespecting you um, in front of the world. Not many people, you know, experience this on the tour level, on any level. And uh, for him to consistently and often go through this uh, uh, must be, you know, heartbreaking for him, but but also, you know, in, you know, made him incredibly mentally tough. I mean, I think of the the last Wimbledon final where you you know he beat Federer, um, where you know every single person in that stadium was just you know baying and and whistling and screaming and applauding every mistake he made. I mean, you know, where is the sportsmanship there? So, you know, good for him. It's like you know he 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 you know. He, he heard his own name in the chance. Who does that? You know, he does that. Right. So how do you feel like you, you in your own head balance the, the idea of, okay, you want Djokovic to, to, to consistently win. You want him to, to, to be at the top balancing that out with, okay, what can I actually, if he's not winning or, you know, if he's losing some matches here and there, how can you balance the importance of that with, okay, well, I really want to actually be able to learn from him. You know, because I feel like with the big three, there's so much arguing and debating and fighting where so many people say, like, let's just step back and try to appreciate what they're doing as opposed to just really focusing on the wins and losses. Oh, I completely agree. And I'm not, you know, I don't think, you know, if he doesn't win another slam, I think, you know, he's had one of the greatest careers ever. To me, it's not about having more than one or, or, or less than the other. I've never, you know, it's only when people, you know, will will you know challenge me and say well Federer is the greatest or Nadal is the greatest that I you know you know that I that I respond to that by you know charting off you know another set of of, of equally impressive statistics so I don't think I, I think you're absolutely right I think every player has something to teach us I think every player has you know Nadal has incredible qualities Federer has incredible qualities they all have you know and I think if we focus less on personality as you say and we focus more on on their game and things that that can inspire us you know on the court and also off the court nick it's not just about tennis um and part of my you know admiration and, and love for novak is that he's had he's the only player that's had a real impact on my life now it happened to be novak it could be federer for someone else it could be Nadal for someone else it could be you know any other player um uh, could could you know Fonini could inspire people <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you know, his, you know, he struts around like a peacock. I mean, he's, you know, you can pick up things from every player and, and find something that, that, that is inspiring to some extent. So, um, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, if we get off the, you know, people, you know, get off the boil and, and make this less, you know, an argument about who's the greatest and, and he's number one and no, no, he's number one. And he, you know, he's got more slams and he's got more victories and he's got better percentages and focus really on, on the aspects of the game. So no, if he loses, obviously I'm not happy because you know, if you're a fan of a team, you never like to see him lose or a fan of a player. Having said that, you know, as he has said himself, you learn from more from your losses than you do from your victories. And that's another thing that has, you know, made me think about my own, you know, I don't like losing, you know, tennis matches. And often, you know, when I lose them, I, you know, I'm angry at my opponent. Um, uh, you know, or I say, well, I didn't play well, and you know, I don't give them the credit that they deserve because um, it's not easy because our egos are sort of, you know, are, are so embedded um, and, and and determined by our own performance. And and I think, you know, I think it's much harder to look into yourself and and, and be critical of the thing of your own shortcomings. 
you know, the fact that you didn't play well, the fact that you were lazy, the fact that you didn't move well, the fact that, you know, your serve wasn't, wasn't working properly. The fact that, you know, you know, all of those things, I think, you know, ultimately make you better if you can dig in a bit more and be honest with yourself. It's about honesty. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Djokovic is not going to be around forever. And he's 30, 33 now, soon to be turning 34 in a few weeks. So once he does retire, whenever that may be, how do you think you will experience tennis after that point? Look, there's no question when he's not playing, I think, and, and this is definitely true of Federer fans uh, as well, or Nadal fans, I think when, when one of them are not, is not playing in a tournament, you tend not to, you know, spend as much attention, or you pay less attention, possibly, to a tournament. Um, that's normal. Uh, having said that, there are so many other players that are up and coming, that are established or whatever, that are exciting to watch. And I just love watching tennis. So I'm going to keep following tennis. I'm going to keep watching tennis, uh, regardless of whether he's playing or not. Great. Are there any players that you see nowadays that could be the next Novak or have qualities like Novak? Well, being half Greek, I'd like to see Tsitsipas go go further, uh, only from a, a perspective of person of nationality and 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 maybe because he has a one-handed backhand, and I'm old enough to ha still have a one-handed backhand. Um, there's so many exciting players. Uh, Lloyd Harris, who's a local, local plays at our local club here in Cape Town. Um, he's another one that I'm rooting for, who's having you know a good a good year this year, um, and so. Will anybody be as good as, as Novak, as good as Federer, as good as Nadal, until until they actually are able to to replicate those events? The answer is we don't know, and um, and time will tell. I think with this young crop, will anybody be as dominant? If you look at the WTA, you know, you know, since Serena, at least, you know, nobody has been as dominant. Um, you know, Halep maybe. I mean, Barty. You know, it's sort of interchangeable. I think men's tennis is going to go through a period like that, where for the next five, six years, you're going to have, you know, four slams, four different winners. Um, you know, maybe a player wins three, four slams, five slams over the course of their career, but nobody's going to get to double digits um, like these three, like these three players have. So just imagine a lot of Andy Murray's and then, and Vavrinka's. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but not a bad uh, career because those two guys, those two guys would have plenty more if it wasn't for these three. Absolutely, absolutely, or maybe not. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, you're right. I think they would have more, but would they have you know 15, 16, yeah. 18, 19? Right, probably. I don't not. know. I don't know. It's hard to tell, um, and we'll never know. Um, what do you think? Do you think there's a, a, a future dominant in the in the offing now that you see? Well, I mean, when you, we were talking about this just now, it's just amazing to think. For years, we've been wondering who's gonna unseat the big three, you know, the Dimitrov, Raonic, Nishikori, Tsitsipas, Zverev, um, you know, now team Medvedev, like which one of these guys, and they have one slam. <laughs> like team has yeah. the only slam and he didn't have to face anyone from the big three. So it just shows you just how dominant they've been. But I mean, I think once the big three are gone, I think the obvious choices are going to be the guys who are at the top now team. Team Tsitsipas Medvedev. Uh, I don't see Zverev in that same level. Rublev? Do you see him in the same? Close. Um, close. I just don't know how sustainable his game is over the course of a Grand Slam. I mean, he just throws so much what into it. Sinner? What do you think of Sinner? Yeah, I mean, I think he's someone, yeah, he's someone who could be the next 
big thing. And I still see a lot of potential in Felix. I mean, he's already, he's lost every final, but to make seven finals, however many he's made at that young age is still super impressive. But I don't see anyone being of the same ilk of these guys. I just don't see it at the moment. Um, I mean, right before the big three, uh, you know, you had Sampras who won 14 slams, Agassi who won eight. And I'm not sure I see anyone in that, at that level either. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens once Djokovic and Nadal and Federer are, are gone. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, this was super fun. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, Mike. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm always happy and excited to talk to you and talk about tennis. Yeah, hopefully we can do this again soon. Uh, and hopefully uh, we'll have some memorable big three matches, including Djokovic in the near future. And hopefully we'll have some memorable matches between you and I. Exactly, so right, six, right. Six one, six two. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks. I'm grateful so for every game I win off you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Really appreciate it.